following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome back to the fourth week of the Underdog NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by Zandrick Ellison representing us out on the best coast. And Zan, it has been, it feels like we have new NBA stories every single week, which is why it's so great to do this. And we had some show notes prepared and then some stuff went down last night. Well, I'm fired on up. Tuesday night. Yeah. I'm fired yeah, up. We were- Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook are fighting. And it kind of inspired me. I didn't tell you this, but I did hire security in case this podcast got a little out of control. Well, we were, we were going to talk about Oklahoma City anyway and Russell Westbrook because they laid such an unbelievable egg in Boston the other night, and it looked like Russ was just not himself. And then they they play the Clippers last night, and they win by 18. And then in the fourth quarter, we see some some old rivalries rear their head with Beverly. For, for people that haven't seen the play, Beverly uh, dives for a loose ball, maybe dove a tiny bit late, but ends up sort of diving right at the legs of Russell Westbrook. And obviously, there's the whole 2013 playoffs nonsense where Beverly went for a steal, and Westbrook ends up tearing his MCL or spraining his MCL. and maybe hurt the Thunder's chance to win the title that year. But these guys clearly don't like each other. Then, before that, they had already been talking trash. Westbrook was doing the rock the baby thing, had an awesome quote afterwards about how when you got small guards on you, they're like little babies and you just have to rock them to sleep. But then Beverly scored on him and he stared him down. And then we have this dust up where the uh, cops end up on the court. So (laughs) what's your favorite NBA robbery right now? Is is Westbrook, Pat Beverly, uh, jumping ahead of Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo? Well, of all those guys, Beverly's the one guy that I think could actually fight (laughs) fight somebody and kick some ass. Uh, But like you mentioned, like we always look back, what caused this fight? Oh, was it this elbow here? Was it this there? And as you mentioned, it's usually something that happened five years ago. Or something that like these guys have been playing against each other for 15 years, probably since high school. There's a lot of bad blood and a lot of baggage. And a lot of times the people that seemingly overreact are reacting to something that we haven't seen in this game, but has been going on for a while. I mean, I think that Pat Beverly, you know, his story is one that people know a ton of right now. He was a good player at Arkansas, ends up going overseas. Houston kind of picks him out of the EuroLeague as sort of a, a backup guard who can really, really defend. He's always been able to do that. And I mean, I don't think there's any love lost there between those guys because Russ strikes me as the type of guy that, like, if he doesn't like you, he's not playing pickup and stuff with you in the offseason. Whereas, you know, we see other guys where it's kind of just happens on the court. But I don't know if it's the case with those two guys. I, I genuinely think that they really don't like each other. And I think part of it's Pat Beverly's shtick. But I think Russ is not that type of guy who does things for a show. Zan. No, but and in a way, you think, does it help them? They were in a little bit of a slump. And in the long regular season, you're playing 80 games. It's hard to get fired up for every game, but something like this does provide some sort of spark, don't you think? Well, I mean, like we said, they were one and four going into last night and they they win pretty big. Paul George has a big game. Russ has a big game. I think they combined for 64. 
And maybe it is maybe it is something that Oklahoma City needed because it did look like when they played Boston the other night, I mean, it looked like they were just sleepwalking. Like they were just terrible. They, they, their offense looked bad. Defensively, they were a little bit of a mess. And, you know, last night it felt like they really got up to play the Clippers. And so, you know, maybe this is something that sparks them. Russ is an interesting guy and, and, and everyone has opinions on whether or not Russell Westbrook can lead your team to a title. And, and I think, unfortunately, we're in an era because of how good Golden State is where we really don't have any idea who's good enough to lead their team to a title unless, you know, because it doesn't matter if you can beat Golden State. But, you know, I know you and I see Russ a little bit differently. I, I do think he's a franchise player. Obviously, the the motor and his energy level, and he really improved his passing, even though people say he hunts assists and he hunts rebounds. And sure, some of it is definitely stat padding. But I think the guy is great to have on your team because you just never get to take a day off if he's your teammate. Because if he's playing as hard as he is, then you've got to play hard. And that that's where, like, I, I, I get the ball dominance thing. And, you know, at one point, I think in his career, he was using possessions at like a 48% usage rate, which is absurd. But I, I think that Russ is the guy that Oklahoma City needs. And if he's fired up and he's ready to go... I think they're going to start winning games. I'm less worried about them after seeing last night because that's a guy with the chip on his shoulder that he brings it every night, Zan. I think he – I'm not as much of a Russell Westbrook hater as I might sound in the next minute, but – because I think you can win with him. Like, you know, can he be the best player on a title team? Like, I don't know, Chauncey Billups, was he the best player on a title team? You, you can do it. It's just you have to have a very specific makeup of the team. You know, it's not like LeBron or Kevin Durant where they can go fit on most teams. And I think Oklahoma City is like a few pieces away. You could see it, a couple more shooters. It's almost like that Sixers last year when they added Ilasova and Bellinelli. Like you put those two guys on Oklahoma City, they might be a very good team. My my hot take sort of on Westbrook though, which you might have been alluding to, and I don't even think it's a hot take. Like I think a hot take is something super reactionary or something that you just say to, to make headlines. Um, I think the biggest reason that Oklahoma City will never win a title is because they did not trade Russell Westbrook earlier. And I say that as somebody who is not a hater. I, I don't have a rooting interest. I just root for whoever I bet on, you know? So if I'm watching, if I'm watching Oklahoma city one night, I'm rooting for them because I bet on them another night I'm rooting against them. And I said this at the time, that's why I don't feel like it's reactionary when they had Harden and they were debating, you know, trading Harden or trading Ibaka. I thought they should trade Westbrook. I just thought every time I watched them, and he's in a half court, I, I think something is going to go badly. <laughs> like I was, if I bet on them, I'm like, oh shit, I'm in trouble here. He's going to jack up some wild out of control shot. Give it back to Durant, give it back to Harden. So, and I wonder if they would have done that, would, you know, Harden plus Durant plus Ibaka, I think that's a team that could have won a title. And the landscape, obviously it's hard to say in hindsight, but right now you're sitting with Russell Westbrook, who's going to make $40 million. And I think, you know, he kind of limits them in that regard. Well, so there's two interesting questions there. One, obviously, the same question that everyone's asked for years. Should they have just run it back with Harden, Westbrook, and Durant the last year and then figured it out afterwards rather than trading for Jeremy Lamb and ending up with a pick that was Steven Adams and, you know, ending up with Kevin Martin? But that question, I think, is obviously run it back. Well, and... Yeah, and and what happens going forward? Because I'm looking at the contract situation. Russell Westbrook's 29 right now, $36 million a year. He's probably worth it, as you said. He is a legit top 10 player. $38 million next year, $41 million by the time he's 31. At what point do we kind of 
you know, cross over the hill. So that was going to be, that was going to be my second part of this was that when Durant leaves, everyone kind of was like, oh yeah, Westbrook's definitely going to leave because he doesn't think he can win a title. And this is one of the reasons I, I do rock pretty hard with Russell Westbrook is that I, I think the guy is, he thinks he's the best player in the NBA. And that's fine. Like, I love it. Like, he plays. I don't think there's anybody in the NBA on a consistent basis at his level of stardom that matches his output on a game-to-game basis, just from a strict energy level. Now, sometimes it hurts him when he's the Tasmanian devil out there. But it was kind of like with Oklahoma City, did they need to re-sign Russ and pay him that money? Or should they have just rebuilt then? And now, here's the thing. I, I told you before the season, like, I like this Oklahoma City roster when Roberson's back. The shooting is a... It's just a massive issue, and it's always going to be an issue. Like, they are shooting as a unit. I believe they're shooting less. They're shooting 27.5% from three, and that's without Roberson playing minutes. But they are seventh in defense right now. They're sixth. They they look like they they have some great defenders. I mean, Hamadou Diallo is a guy. I'm not going to talk about him in my teacher's pet segment, but, like, he's a guy that's already looks like an above-average defensive player. I, I thought he was like five years away. Um, in a way, they kind of remind me of the Sixers in the sense that you have two superstars, you have defense, you just need a couple little role players that can fit in. Yeah, I really thought, like I said, Terrence Ferguson, and they did pick up his fourth year option or his uh, yeah, his option for next year, a third year option. Yeah, uh, Terrence Ferguson has just not been the guy yet. Uh, it's just you can't tell me that this guy's going to shoot. I mean, he's shooting eight percent from three. That's what you. That's what they drafted you for. But then, other than that, they don't have anybody else who's a legitimately good shooter, other than Paul George. Russ is shooting fourteen percent from three on three and a half attempts a game. Pat Patterson thirty eight, which is what you want. But Abrinas is supposed to be a shooter off the bench for them, and he's only shooting thirty percent. So, I don't. I would expect their shooting to regress more towards the means end. But like, they are a terrible shooting team. And. But you know what? But I think we agree they could be a second round team, maybe if the FL breaks right, and which is fine. I, I'm not one of those blow it up guys. You, you're saying you could see a scenario where they're a Final Four team in the West, like yeah, I, I think so. Add a couple of you know fringe guys, free agents that can shoot. I'm not sure who they beat in the first round. That's the problem I'm having. Like I don't know if I honestly I'll admit this. Like I don't know if Russ is good enough to beat a team by himself. So do you agree with me that they should have traded Westbrook? And and to be fair, I, this was, decision was made when he was 22 or 23, and he, he's a better player now. I think it was harder to make that decision in the moment because him and KD had been through so much together. But obviously, like if you asked me which player I would pick for my team, I would certainly pick James Harden. And, and who knew that he would be this good? I, I was more To me, it was more concerned about Westbrook. And to be fair to Sam Presti, who I think is a very good GM, it's very easy for me to say that as Andrew Gallison sitting, a, you know, and recording a podcast versus like talking to the OKC media or the fan base trading Russell Westbrook. Who's I think most- they underestimated. I think they underestimated. And again, like we're talking, you know, five years ago and Houston gave Harden a max deal before he'd ever really started, you know, five games or whatever. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was hard for Oklahoma City to... Like they picked Serge Ibaka, essentially. They didn't really, the choice wasn't really Westbrook or no, Harden. Sure. They picked Serge Ibaka. And I don't know if the choice wasn't like, hey, roll with these three guards because, you know, they're both bigger guards. Like you, but the problem is they were too ball dominant. Like I just think they underestimated the need for shooting. And again, at that point in time, I don't think they were ever thinking they lose Kevin Durant. I, I will tell you this right now if not for Clay Thompson in game six two years ago, 
KD and Russell Westbrook might have won a title together, and KD may never be on Golden State. But Clay Thompson goes insane in Game Six, and then they lose Game Seven. Like Westbrook and Kevin Durant together, and with Stephen Adams, might have been good enough to win. Maybe I, I never, I never believed it though. Even when they were winning that series, I'm like, I, I thought I didn't think they had it. And 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 that's and that's okay. But I'm just saying, like, I think we're a little bit reactionary in the sense that, like, if the league was a little bit more spread out and there was a little bit more parity you know, maybe this Thunder team is good enough to go to the finals. I, I think there's a lot of people that don't feel that way. But this is actually, the Westbrook thing is actually a little bit, we'll, we'll talk about the Washington Wizards for a second too, right? One and six, just gave John, John Wall a super max. And that's a situation where in the last year of his contract, he's making $48 million. They have $105 million uh, allotted to five guys over the next two years. And that's Wall, Beal, Porter, and then Kelly Oubre and Troy Brown which is, you know, maybe those guys are good enough. I don't know. But same type of situation, Zan. Very similar. And it's, it's a worse version, you know, because Wall's like a little worse than Westbrook. The depth somehow is even worse. You know, like when you're starting Jeff Green, you know, like he wasn't good enough for Oklahoma City. Now he's good five years later. Good enough to start. You got a problem. There. So the interesting thing here is, like I said, I think with Oklahoma City, you know, like I, I really feel strongly about when they get Roberson back. Obviously, their shooting doesn't improve, but defensively and how he cuts and, and, and the way they play with him, they're going to be better. Washington, they lose to Memphis Tuesday night uh, in a game where they just came out of the half just so flat and, and just basically really blew the game. And then after the game, we have Garrett Temple, former teammate of Wall and Beal, going up to Beal and Wall separately and, and literally sort of looking them in the eye and being like, what the hell's going on? And either of those guys... I mean, I wish we had a lip reader for the clip that I saw on Twitter because, I mean, I don't know if these guys hate each other. I, I, I mean, I'm assuming they do. I, I watch them pretty much every night, although this year it's been harder. But I don't know at this point. When Wall signed his extension, I was super fired up about it, Zan. And now we're, we're you know, eight months after the fact. And I'm like, uh, maybe not. Well, it, it feels similar in that in that they're spectacular players. But the way to win an NBA title, as you know, is either you have a great overall team, great depth, which is hard, or you have a top five player. And we all thought, I thought John Wall could be that when he got drafted, right? Like he felt like almost even a better version of Derrick Rose, um, young Derrick Rose. And he was pretty good right away. I'm looking at his stats, 16 and 8 right out of the gate. He just, I mean, he cut down his turnovers. I, I would say he's getting slightly better. But it's just not happening fast enough. I'm looking at his true shooting percentage. You know, take that for what it is. So I think that a lot of people argue about the shooting with Wall, uh, and and that it's not particularly there. And that that's that's true. Like he's I mean, improved as a shooter. Don't get me wrong. Well, like well a- let me let me read it to you before you get into defending Wall. Forty nine fifty. This is from rookie year. Forty nine fifty fifty two fifty two fifty two fifty one fifty four fifty two. So slightly trending up but you need a microscope to find that trend line i uh i wasn't going to defend him actually which is sad because for years and years and years i've died on this john wall hill but in, in 2017 when he made 13 wall nba i thought he played really really hard every night 2015 he breaks his breaks his hand in the playoffs against the hawks i thought they would have beaten the hawks to get to the conference finals that year when they played small around paul pierce even with randy whitman as their head coach but like this is a guy who i thought was a leader for a little while. Like I thought the way he played, you know, he played so hard all the time. And in 2017, he really committed himself to playing really hard defensively. And I thought this was a guy where I was like, man, this is a guy we can build around. Like 
I, I understand there was always the Beal and Wall don't like each other nonsense out there. And I didn't think it was that they didn't like each other. I just think they're different guys. Like, Wall is from Raleigh, like, just comes from a, a worse situation. Like, he's just different. He's different. He's a bulldog. Like, he's going to overwhelm you. He's going to talk trash. And, like, Beal's not really that guy. And, and, and I never bought into the fact that, like, I didn't think they liked each other. And then all of a sudden, like, last year comes around, Wall gets paid. He's hurt. He plays 41 games, I think. And then, like, he's out. And then this Gortat nonsense comes up. And it looks like the team's really, like, rallying around him being out. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this isn't great. But, you know, Gortat's washed up anyway at this point. Although, very good player for the Wizards for four or five years. But, and then this year, I'm expecting Wall to come back. He's healthy. Like, we've seen this summer of separation bullshit online. Like, and I'm ready for it. And the effort level's just not there. Like, the, the the will for Wall to be a great defender like he was two, three years ago. And that year, in 2017, he was an unbelievable on-the-ball defender. Still momentary lapses for sure, but I just think Wall got paid, and he he wants to be a guy now to really score it. Like, I think he's heard, like, Dame Lillard and Kyrie Irving are better than him, and he's getting away from what he does. Like, he's an unbelievable passer. Like, the way he runs a team yeah. at breakneck oh, speed, cool. like, that's who you are. And now it doesn't feel like he wants to be that guy. And if he doesn't want to be that guy and he wants to be a 25-point-per-game guy, the Wizards are going to be awful all year. I mean, honestly. like, And I don't want to blame one guy. Like, Porter's not having a great year. Markeith Morris has a concussion. He's missed a game and a half. Like, But this is – you're getting paid super max money. He's going to make $48 million the last year of his deal. Well, that, that's what's – and I agree he has the potential. Like you said, if you don't watch a lot of John Wall, his court vision is really good. And – Passing's great. Really, in contrast to guys like Westbrook or Derrick Rose in his prime, like this guy is a great passer. And I would say real quick with Westbrook, like he is an unbelievable guy at getting assists and bending the defense, but he does not pass the same way that Wall does. Wall is in that category with LeBron and Ricky Rubio, where they're passing guys open. They're constantly on a swivel. Like, I mean, the stuff that he does in the open floor and and in the half court with shooters is is crazy. He, he, he's like LeBron ish almost. He's like a short LeBron in that way. But the point, the scary thing, as you mentioned, if he's getting slightly better, or in your opinion, to score happy, whatever, he's not taking a a leap. And his contract, as you mentioned, is taking a leap. It goes from nineteen million this year to thirty eight million. That's yeah, that's the scary extension. part. The extension hasn't even kicked in yet. Yeah, so like if he's not getting twice as good, but his contract's blowing up at twice the rate, how does that limit this team's ceiling? They really have to nail the rest of the roster. The franchise you wouldn't necessarily bet yeah. on. I mean, they're not doing that. The only good part is like if they really stink this year, if like let's say they win thirty games or they blow it up, like Ernie Grunfeld will get fired because I mean at this point. 16 years and this is what we've got and I again like they're sniping at each other in the media already like and Dwight Howard hasn't even played a game yet that's the guy we thought was really going to push the locker room over and that guy's not even there and it's a shame because you know people liken them to Portland and I can see the comp between the super heavy guards um but John Wall and Beal fit complementary skills. I mean, it should work on the court. I don't know why they clash so much. I don't actually, honestly, I don't even really think the issue is Wall and Beal as much. Like I said, I, I do think there is a, a Beal, brand new father. I think that that obviously matters a little bit. I think, you know, they like when guys go on road trips because they get a chance to sleep a little bit more. But like, it just feels like the entire team has adopted. I, I think in general, your team adopts your the personality of your best player. For sure. And, with Wall, I think it's pretty clear. I wouldn't say that it, there are some people that will say, oh, I'd take Beal over Wall in a second. And, and that's, it's fine. I think that's okay in the new NBA with the, how much shooting you need. But 
I think the entire team has adopted this personality of like, we're just, we're good enough. And this was like last year when Wall was hurt and they came back, they wanted to play Toronto. They were the eighth seed. Toronto was the one seed. And they were like talking to the media, like, yeah, we want to play Toronto. We're going to beat them because they had beaten them in the playoffs. But like, this is, you can't think that way. You won 42 games. Like they weren't, they were mediocre all of last year. You can't just turn it on. It doesn't work that way. So honestly, one and six and Scott Brooks is like, we got to stay together. Like this team is not together right now. I am worried about the Wizards. Well, what do you think about Scott Brooks, just to touch on that quickly? Because a lot of people are calling for his head. Do you think it would matter? Yeah, I don't, really I don't know. I, I thought that he was a really good – he's a really good player development guy. Guys really like to play for him. We've seen it. He has made young players better. He is horrendous at running a rotation. I mean, it's just so bad. Like, I mean, two years ago in the playoffs against Boston, game seven, like – Kelly Olynyk's going crazy, and this idiot has Jan Mahimi on the floor. Like, go small. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Go small. And now they're trying to play. They want to play fast. They want to shoot threes, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, all right, great. Now, I will say this. Their schedule, you know, Sacramento is a little bit pluckier, I think, than people think. The Clippers are legitimately pretty good. They're on a five-game road trip. The Memphis is over 500. I think they're four and two now. Like, the Wizards' chemistry looks terrible, but they have played a relatively tough schedule to start the year. And that is the one thing I will say, you know, being on the road and having to play teams that maybe are better than people think because it's early in the year, it, it, that bothers me. But this this team, defensively, they are. I mean, defensively, they're 27th in defensive rating and they're 24th in offensive rating. I mean, it's really bad. Like, And, and you still bank, bank on them making the play. I think I would bank on them making the playoffs in 7 and 8 seed or something like that. And if that's what your goal is, fine. But I just want Wall to want there more. There is no way that this team, as presently constructed, could beat any of the teams in the top four. And that's where they do play a lot better at home. They have been the last two years, they've been way better at home. But my issue is like, I just don't, the the issue with the Wizards is a little bit, like you said, it's similar to Oklahoma City in the sense that like, Wall's contract, I wouldn't say that it's unmovable because people take contracts all the time. And I, I believe, I should know this, but I do believe that John is not, I mean, I think John's 29. I think he's 28. 28 the last year's contract 32 which isn't terrible but it's it's on the edge so you have the knee issues and stuff and he has been out of shape at some points but it's definitely not an unmovable deal now it does have a 15 percent trade kicker in year four which means he's going to make 53 million dollars if he gets traded which is so much money but like i just don't know you know i saw somebody on twitter post like what if they called the timberwolves and they were like we'll give you john for jimmy butler and like, would the Timberwolves do that? Now, obviously, you'd have to make the, the salary a little bit more similar. I think yeah, they probably make about the same amount of money. But for the Wizards, you get out from under Wall, you get another malcontent, but at least he's done after this year, and you can see what would happen. And you can you kind of go back to the drawing board and be like, all right, what works? But I don't know how many teams would take John at this point because I do think there's a sense around the league that he is not the same guy he was two years ago from a, 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 a both a playing standpoint and a personality standpoint. Well, and just like projecting it forward, when, when that question comes up, I, I hear most often they should trade Beal, they should trade Beal. And I, I, I feel the opposite, just not so much that I think Wall is a better player right now still, and he might still be next year. But in three years, in four years, like that is a contract that's, that's a neutral contract. And, and, if, I, if, and so much of his game, like you mentioned with Westbrook, is, is predicated on his athleticism. And if he does have some knee injuries and if he does, you know, if he slows down, he, he really hasn't yet. He's certainly played more under control. But end to end, he's one of the fastest guys in the league with the ball still and can play breakneck pace. And that's one of the reasons I don't always kill him defensively because when he's required to play as fast as he needs to, 
you know, sometimes you, you can't play 100% offense and defense all the time. It doesn't really work like that. You know, it's, we know that. But if he slows down at 31, if, if it's gone, it's gone. And it's hard to project that out. I agree. And that's why I think, like, his contract could be pretty bad in a year or two. And that's it's so scary. And, but we also agree that those are players right now, this season, that can be winners on the right team. They just have to tweak. I think I, I you know, I don't want to stay optimistic for the Wizards because every time I'm optimistic, oh, you're, you're out. You don't think they're going to make the playoffs? I don't know. It's they're one and six. I have no idea. I, I watch teams like Charlotte, and I watched I watched Charlotte and Miami last night, for example, and like those teams play hard, and like Charlotte's going Marvin Williams diving on a loose floor for the basketball, like gets it, throws it ahead to Batum, Batum gives it to Malik Monk for the layup, and the entire bench goes crazy. Like they're so excited. There's just a me- like a play in the third quarter to go up eight. You know, they go down, they get a defensive stop, swing it back around, they hit a three, and all of a sudden the team's going crazy. Miami takes a timeout. Like, I don't see that with the Wizards. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't see stuff like that. Like, they aren't getting excited for guys hitting the floor. They're, they're playing lazy defensively. They're lazy in transition. It's like they just don't give a shit. And that, after seven games... What's going to happen? You put Dwight Howard, who also is, wants to play slow, like you get him back. Like, are they going to automatically start giving a shit? And that's where with like Russ, he's always going to care. So like Oklahoma City is not going to have an option really like because Russ is going to start calling guys out. But like John is calling guys out in the media and Brad's saying like guys have their own agendas. And like you guys are legitimately out there acting like you don't want to be there. And and we're seven games into the year. So I don't want to say no, they're not going to make the playoffs. but I don't know what fixes this group of guys. Well, I do. I, we're going to send this soundbite over to their organization. I think you need to be hired. You're the replacement. Coach Tyler, Lori, light a fire under John Wall's ass. Send them this podcast. I have a couple people that I know inside the organization as well. So we could, we could, send, uh, we could send this over to them. Let's talk about a team that's more fun to watch because the Wizards are depressing. Uh, but let's talk about your guy. And your team, the Golden State Warriors, and let's... Is that my team? Oh, man. That- I, I'm a Warriors. I, I'll tell you what, I'm a Warriors fan. I'm ready to, I'm just, I'm ready to pledge my allegiance to this scrappy underdog group of guys. <laughs> well, I, 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 hate, I hate the hate because it's just a really well-run organization. It's you annoying know? for I mean, sure. It's annoying that they're so... Like, we're fresh off the heels of Clay Thompson getting 50, 14 threes. When was that, Monday night or Sunday? Uh, Monday night. Uh, Either. It could happen again by the time this podcast recorded. Maybe Steph goes for 60. Um, it's scary. You know, like, what do you think the cap is on this team? Can they win 75 games if they tr- if they needed to? I don't know. I told you before I thought that them having to integrate DeMarcus Cousins in the middle of the year is going to be a little bit interesting uh, because they could really have it rolling. I mean, Steph and KD are playing as well as I've seen either one of them play in their careers. Like, Steph Curry has been unbelievable, in my opinion. Uh I, I think like Giannis, because he's on the Bucks, is probably the MVP front runner. But Steph has been ridiculous. Clay yeah, I, I might vote for Steph right now because to me, I, if I was an MVP voter, if I'm betting on the MVP, it's about narrative. But if I was an MVP voter, I don't take it as who's the best player in their situation and their teammates aren't very good. And but like I just look at it as like who is the most impactful best player in that regard and you can easily make an argument for Steph Curry I think that there's a bunch of narratives around the Warriors right now and and just Steph Curry in general I, I think most people you would poll would say that LeBron is the best player in the NBA and then I think most people if you ask them well who is the most unique player who does the most I think they would say that Kevin Durant is like the easiest scorer and the things that KD does as effortlessly as he does maybe he's the most skilled 
But if you ask me the one guy that I thought was the most important, and I don't know if he can do it on other teams, the way that teams have to guard the Warriors because of Steph Curry, like there's a reason that they shut him down and let KD go off in the playoffs because like I think teams are more worried about Steph Curry. And I think there's a legitimate argument to be made that Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA. And I know that's hard to imagine. I think analytics guys love it, but old players don't think it, of course. Well, as you mentioned, it's that thing that you hate and I hate of like, who's the better two-way player? And somebody will come in and say, you know, Mike Conley is a better two-way player than Steph Curry. He's slightly better on defense and he turns the ball over, you know, 0.4 times less. He wins five out of the nine categories. Uh, hold, it's on, not about- hold on, Dan. I'm going to go on the record right now and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I think is, is the coldest take in America, but people might think, think it's a hot take. I don't give a shit what Steph Curry's position is listed as. He is the best point guard in the NBA, and it is not close. Like, I don't care that he doesn't pass the ball as much. I don't care that people think Draymond Green is their primary creator. If you're starting your team and you're picking one player to play the nominal one spot on your team, Steph Curry is better than everyone else in the NBA. Well, it's, it's a point. My point, too, is like, it's not, not all skills are equal. Being able to shoot the three is more important than, I love Reggie Evans, great rebounder. That skill is not as important as shooting 40% from three off the dribble. Um, his skill is the most important in the NBA today. He's the best at it ever. Ever. No, it's not close. Like, he's the best shooter. Like, Clay Thompson's probably the second best shooter ever, and I don't think, I don't particularly think the gap between the two of them is that small. No, I agree. It, it's astounding. <laughs> I mean, honestly, every time I watch it, I've never seen anything like it. It, if you told me in the 90s or early zeros, I never would have thought it's possible that somebody is going to be shooting. When he was going crazy, and it seems hilarious to say this, but like when he was going crazy against the Wizards in the first half and he scored 51, like there was an argument on Twitter between Nate Duncan uh, from Dunk On Podcast, really good stuff, and then Eddie Johnson, who is the Phoenix Suns play-by-play announcer, because Nate Duncan said one of the shots that Steph took in the second quarter was selfish. And Eddie Johnson was roasting him for being an analytics guy and telling him to go back to his clipboard because, like, he didn't understand that shooters get in rhythm. And that's the thing with Steph. Like, when he makes one, I mean, he can make 25 more in a row. Like, the shots that he takes and he's able to shoot with his feet, like, barely set and with the defense all over him, it's like, this guy is unreal. And so, like, this Warriors team, if you're telling me that, I mean, there's a legitimate chance KD and Steph could average 30 a game apiece. I don't think it'll happen because I think part of that was because Clay's shooting slump was existent before he went 14 for 24 from three but I this might be this is this is hard to say I don't know like it's hard to compare teams across eras but this could end up being one of the best teams of all time these guys have played together the only team I remember that could compete I wasn't around in the 80s the Jordan teams in the 90s yeah like the 96 Bulls you know they went 72 and 10 they're gonna play really differently though the Bulls definitely have the edge in toughness regardless of the era but I think they would be shell shocked by playing this Warriors team. I, I don't. I and I, it's it is scary. Um, it is amazing, and I, I wonder. You know, they're not going to really push because, especially with Houston struggling, I don't. And Boston looking not like a super team. I don't think they're going to care about winning seventy games. But if you that. told them like we're going to kill your children unless you win seventy five games, I think they could do it. It is Halloween, so kill your children is a little bit dark, but it'll we'll we'll let it play on Wednesday. On Thursday when this airs, I don't know how people will go. But actually pretty good segue. Golden State, a team going for eighty one and one, and then the team that they've played in the finals against the last four years, the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
fire Teron Lou after six games and are an absolute mess. Kevin Love is out for a month, maybe more if they're embracing the tank, but a lot going on in Cleveland. They actually won last night against Atlanta. They won Tuesday night against Atlanta, scored 130 plus points. Well, you know what? It's it's scaring me in the Halloween sense because I, I fear for the first time, now that I think about it, I'm not sure we're getting Golden State Cleveland five. It might not happen. Well, it's like Rocky Five, right? It didn't need to happen. You know, Rocky yeah. Four was pretty good. Ivan Drago's a character. They're remaking Creed. The Creed Two's coming out. Everyone's excited about it. That that was our weekly talk and movie segment right there. So we did not need Cleveland and Golden State Five. I think people were, you know, tired of it. Even though the series themselves, they provided some intrigue. They were high level, but I mean, not. last year was not obviously. It was over after Game One. You know, once J.R. Smith forgot the score and LeBron goes for fifty in a triple double and they don't win or whatever. But that NBA mastermind Ty Lue is out. What do you think? Do you think that's fair to do two weeks into the season? I think he's going to make $15 million to not coach, which is always great. But it's just like, it's just so ridiculous. Somebody, I guess, has to be a scapegoat. Who the hell knows what's going on behind the scenes with him and uh, Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman. And, and who knows who's even pulling strings. I doubt Kobe Altman recommended Ty Lue being fired. Obviously, he was the one that had to take the podium and talk about it. But I just think that like... You know, you lose LeBron and they built this roster. I think I've talked about this before. Like they built this roster around like how can we make LeBron win another title? And it obviously wasn't going to happen because of Golden State. Maybe it does happen if Golden State doesn't exist, just like a bunch of things that we've talked about. But, you know, Ty Lue's not the reason that they were losing games. I, I don't even know who looked at this team and was like, you know, we should be pretty competitive. Like their Vegas over under was 31 and maybe they get there. But like, if that's the case, then you're not going to be very good, right? So who's looking at this team and being like they're drastically underachieving and that's the fault of the code? There, apparently there was some clash between should you play the young prospects or the veterans? And in Ty Lue's case, like neither option is very good. The veterans aren't good enough to win. There's no real prospects besides Sexton maybe. Um, it was a lost year. It was always going to be. Like they gave Larry Nance, they gave Larry Nance a $40 million extension and I like Larry Nance, but again, what's the direction your franchise is going? And, and it wasn't his fault, Ty Lue's fault that the reason that it can't really fully embrace a tank is because they have some bad contracts on the books still. It's, I mean, it's a mess over there. And like, again, like that's my point. And that's, you know, when you get paid a ton of money, like you get scapegoated and it is what it is. And like I said, maybe Ty Lue is like, great. I didn't want to coach anyway. I don't know what he's going to do. I'd assume he'll do some TV. Seems like a super likable guy. I, I've heard he was a very good assistant coach. Players really like him. Yeah, that, that's one thing I want to say about Ty Lue. I, I, I don't like this idea that he's just like LeBron's caddy and he's not a real coach. You hear that a lot. It's like this is a guy who was an assistant for Doc Rivers for a while, got interviewed to be the head coach for the Cavs before LeBron signed up, and he was the second choice. They liked him so much they hired him and made it and made him the highest paid at the time assistant coach in the league before LeBron showed up. So he had some merit as a coach, or at least as an assistant coach. It's just hard to coach LeBron, as we've seen. And it's certainly hard to coach a dog shit roster like he had this year. Well, that, and that's, and like I said, that's the thing. If you, if Dan Gilbert was expecting this team to compete for the eighth spot because they had some veterans who were better with LeBron, Kevin Love, very good player, not, not out here, you know, shitting on Kevin Love, but like, then he was wrong. Like, and this is the same thing we've seen over and over again as people kind of adjust, like they, they look at their roster and like, oh, these players were good back in the day and like, they're just not very good now. And so that's the part of this that is the biggest struggle for me. So why fire Ty Lue, 
right now. If, right. If, like, did you think that he was going to get this team to 42 wins and the eighth spot or the sixth spot, whatever that is in the East? And if that's the case, then just go out and say, like, hey, we made a mistake. But, like, it makes zero sense. Like, I, I always I always talk about this when teams are bad. The guy that's coaching them when they're bad is likely not going to be the coach when they're good. Like, that's just the bottom line. So, like, when the Wizards drafted John Wall, Flip Saunders was their coach. And I only speak from this because I, I followed the situation. And you knew that when the Wizards were ready to compete, which whatever the fuck that means now, I'll bleep that one, I'll mark it. But whatever that means, you know, you knew Flip Saunders wasn't going to be his coach. Like, RIP to Flip, great dude. But, like, you just knew he wasn't going to be a coach. So then they hire Randy Whitman, who you also assumed wasn't going to be the coach because they still were far away. So with the Cavs, it's like, all right, are you firing LeBron? Do you hire Larry Drew for the next – or, I'm sorry, firing Ty Lue, not LeBron. But firing Ty Lue, and then you fi- you hire Larry Drew, and then, like, he's the coach for two years. You find another guy, they stink for two more years. You fire him, and then finally you get someone else to compete. Like, what's the thought process here, Zan? There, there isn't any reason to fire Ty Lue, like, other than the fact that it's like, all right, we want to totally escape the LeBron era. We want to be totally different. I, I think the key word you said is, why fire him right now? Because I, I understand firing him in the offseason. Like, you know, he, he, he's a decent assistant coach, allegedly. He was a defensive specialist, allegedly, who couldn't get the Cavs ever playing good defense. Um, so I get it if you're like, let's start a new era. Let's hire a younger coach. He's young, but, you know, a fresh face who is a player development specialist to rebuild this thing. To keep him and then fire him because predictably it didn't go well. It doesn't make sense. And, and also, you're not in a situation where, like, you know, if you fire him with 30 games to go in the year or something. Again, I, I think firing people midseason is stupid to, to begin with. But there is, a, there is a little bit of merit to it. Like, just to relate this, we're not a football podcast. Obviously, the Cleveland Browns are a hilarious franchise. <laughs> but, like, you fire Hugh Jackson now after th- going, whatever, 3-36-1 and 36 and one or something. Like, but at least if you fire Hugh now, you have eight weeks to decide what do we want to do so we know as soon as candidates come on the market, we can hire them. There are, I mean, what are the Cavs? The Cavs are one in six. There are 75 games left in the NBA season. So anyone who works for another team right now is not going to be a candidate until April. And that, that suggests a lot of friction in the back office. Like David Fis- David Fisdale last year, it was kind of a head-scratcher, but apparently there's fighting a lot, and maybe that that happens. I mean, we're two the, two years in a row, though, you know, there have been three coaches fired before the 20th game of the season uh, in the last two years. What I was Earl Watson last three, year? Like two, they were 0-3. Oh. Uh, Fisdale got fired. I think they were 7-12. and 12. That was really surprising. And then I believe Kevin McHale got fired uh, in the after their 11th game for Houston. Uh, maybe that was 2015, 2016, or 2016, 2017. Can't remember off the top of my head. I think D'Antoni has been what the Rockets coach for two years, right? Well, and and, and as you mentioned, the interim coach it doesn't rarely works out. I'm trying to think. I uh, I mean, yeah, like I don't, I don't Scott, know. Scotty Brooks was an interim coach who did pretty well. Frank Vogel was a pretty good interim coach, but none of them were, you know, long long term answers. It's just it's just a weird situation. And again, I think the Cavs. I just don't think – I think they misjudged where their roster's at. And and like I said, it's it's hard when you have, I mean, one of the best five, best two players of all time. I don't know wherever people rank LeBron, but like their roster's flawed. Their coaching staff is – if they were truly there to coach older guys and, you know, now you do this complete 180, it's just like why – first of all, what have you seen? Your team stinks, right? So what have you seen after six games? Second of all, what did you see all year in camp? What did you see in the summer? What did you see when you built this roster? Like, 
And how does that change after six games? It's just the sample's not big enough. And and again, you know, now the the, the bigger thing is one, Larry Drew, he wants a contract because he knows that Dan Gilbert's crazy. So he's making a million dollars this year, but wants more money. So he's in the media now saying like, I'm not, I don't want, I'm not the interim coach. I'm just a voice for this team. And he's going to, he's, and he's admitted that he'll coach without, a you know, an agreement in place because he doesn't want to like quit on the team or whatever. But like that situation screwed up. Well, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as a coach. Do you think his reluctance is like, he knows he's not going to be the long-term guy and that's why he's fighting for the extra year. If you're an assistant, a respected assistant, million dollar paid assistant, do you just not want to be the head coach and have the, you know, the 10 and 60 record on your resume? Is that yeah, it? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a weird situation. Like a lot of assistants obviously don't have guaranteed deals. Some do, some definitely do have guaranteed deals, but you know, a lot of guys will go year to year to try to get more money. And with Larry Drew, you know, he's making money this year. I, I think Larry Drew wants some more guaranteed money in the on the off chance. I don't, I don't even know what to say off chance. I, I would assume they're cleaning house in the offseason. I, I think it's 99%, right? So I mean, if I'm Larry Drew, I, I recognize the opportunity. And I'm sure Larry Drew doesn't need money. Like he's, you know, he's been a head coach before. Like obviously this guy's made cash. But I think like he's looking at it like, look, I'm getting fired after this year probably. 100 like you said 99 percent. so i think like he wants to have a little bit more of an agreement in place to at least either get a raise or get maybe a year or two added to his deal and i understand why dan gilbert wouldn't do it like i get no, that I, I, yeah i don't see what leverage he thinks he has and that's that's the point here i think if he just makes this a spectacle he feels like oh they'll cave to me and uh, i mean i don't know if that's gonna happen zan i don't really think well i'd like that- to see him pull a jimmy butler and just come to practice screaming, you can't win without me. He should do that whole right. Or what if he just says, like, hey, I don't want to be the coach? Because I would assume if he gets – see, I don't know. This is the problem without seeing, like, contract language, right? So my assumption would be that if they fire Larry Drew, he gets paid. But he may have an at-will contract. It, it, you know, it may be very different than we think. So that's probably the other issue, and that's why we're seeing him coach. Because if he just said, like, you know, screw you guys. I don't want to be the interim head coach. And they were like, all right, you're fired. He probably gets nothing. And then he's not getting any work during the year, really, because staffs are already shaken out. Maybe he gets hired as a consultant somewhere. But, you know, if I'm Larry Drew, like, you're not you're not in a good spot, bro. Like, you're not in a situation <laughs> where you're able to dictate, like, I want two years and $5 million added to my deal. Because, again, like, this has got to be a situation where Kobe Altman's looking at it like, all right, maybe he sparks the team. You know, we get J.R. Smith out of here. They trade Kevin Love. They tank. And they're like, all right, we'll keep Larry Drew for two years because the guys like him. But if not... They're firing him and they're bringing in a right. new coach. The, the, no disrespect to him, but the only reason they'd keep him is if Dan Gilbert's just like, fuck it, I don't care for exactly. a few years. That's 100% right. That's, you know, and we, we talked about this before and I want, I know you got some, some ideas, but Kevin Love, at this point, they signed him to an extension. He makes a lot of money. A, still a very capable player, probably not the best player on your team anymore. They cannot trade him until January 23rd. I think we would both be uh, stunned. If he was on the Cavs past the trade deadline this year? Well, I think it's so interesting. I, I wrote a post on Reddit. Like, is Kevin, they re-signed him to this extension. Um, he had like a $24 million on his contract for this year. And it, the extension is like a four-year added to that, about $28, $29, $30 million a year. Actually, like a pretty reasonable contract for a player of Kevin Love's caliber. But, you know, at the end of the contract, the guy with durability issues will be, you know, 32 or whatever. 33 is it a is it a valuable contract is it something that you think people would trade for and consider it an asset or an albatross well the one thing i will say is like i talked about earlier bad contracts get moved all the time so 
the nobody is taking this contract kind of like idea I just don't ever agree with. Uh, but with Kevin Love, I think it's really, 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 really hard. Really hard. I'm going to say it a hundred times to evaluate players playing with LeBron because one, you never get, the, you never really have the ball in your hands. So you, you kind of turn into a specialist unless you're Kyrie Irving. That's the only guy we've really seen in sort of like that Batman role. I'm sorry, that Robin role. We saw that with Dwayne Wade, but we had, you know, years of footage of what Dwayne Wade was before. And even he struggled the first year. You know, Chris Bosh goes from a 24 and 12 guy to a 17 and 8 guy who ends up being a super switchy small ball five that, you know, allowed them to be really good in Miami. So with Kevin Love, I don't know what else we get. Like he's turned basically into a stretch five who can still rebound, but he's not near the basket a ton. He's better defensively, I think, than people think. He plays really hard. I. I think he's a good player now. I, I still think he's a good player. I, I just don't know if he's going to be a good player, like we mentioned with the other guys, in three years. I think he's going to be a good contract for three years and then probably a liability for two years. And he's on a five-year deal. So it's, it's a commitment. And I think like, the other thing, too, is you keep, keep in mind is the NBA kind of like goes the way it's going from a financial standpoint. The fourth year is more of an issue than the fifth year because you'll find a team who's tanking or who's like, man, we're out of it. And they'll take that last year off the books for you. Now, obviously, you have to give up an asset, which is never great. But like from a financial perspective, specifically, typically you're able to move contracts like that in the last year just because teams of even let's just say Kevin Love falls off a cliff. I don't think that's going to happen. We've seen the guy transform his body like we've seen how much he wants to play. Like, I, I think Kevin Love will be fine. But from a, a strict like financial liability standpoint, like if somebody's worried about luxury tax or anything like that in the you know five the fifth year, I think you're able to move deals like that. It, it's just you would just have to give something up. So you know that's the point. Go ahead. Go I ahead. was going to say I have these trade ideas in mind, and it comes from the logic that it is not a super valuable contract. It, he's a good player, but you know five years heavy. You know, are you going to commit to that? Now the one thing to consider, Zan, is. Does it matter what it looks like in five years if you win if you trade for Kevin Love and you win a title this year or next year? Do you well care that, that's about what I'm thinking? Year? No, absolutely not. And it's sort of the same logic for a lot of these teams. These are teams that are pushing for the playoffs now. It's almost like, you know, buying something with a credit card that you don't have the money for. You know, it's like, hey, I get it now and then the you know, I'm gonna have to dodge the the <laughs> the debtor in a few weeks. Yeah, when you when you buy Red Dead Redemption, you're like, oh it's super fun. I beat the game. I got a lot of, I got a lot of use out of it. And then uh, then you gotta pay for it if you're a Yeah. <laughs> it's like mo- the majority of Americans, like that's their this is how we lived. You know, you spend what money you don't have. Um so I considered a few the teams that I considered didn't have on the list, Boston, Lakers, Miami OKC, Philadelphia, Washington, but three that I think make kind of sense on both sides. You tell me which one you think makes the most sense. Um, let's talk Houston, a team that is in the win now mode. You know, they gave Chris Paul a similar contract, big money up front and, and a long term commitment when he might not be good in the future. Yeah. And so you look at Houston, they could take that Jimmy Butler reported offer, you know, Brandon Knight, Marquis Chris, not necessarily four first round picks, but let's say it's two protected first round picks i mean i'd probably do it if i was the Cavs. i don't know oh man i don't know like i don't know that kevin love wants to play with chris paul i i don't know do you think he'd help them I and mean, he's not exactly a golden state killer it's not a good matchup for him i mean that's that that's true and next to clint capella he'd be playing more four and we don't know if the four is his best position anymore i, I mean like i said I, I truly think that kevin love is a very good small ball five but I think Houston would consider it 
for sure, just because of what their issues are right now. Like, I mean, one of the issues is, you know, for them, and this kind of ties in, we, we were maybe going to talk about Houston, but I'll just plug it right now. Like, they're one in five as well and got blasted by the Blazers on Tuesday night. But, you know, defensively speaking, they're old, like I said, and you get another old guy. I think that, I think that Dan, I, I'm sorry, I think Daryl Morey would do anything he thought put them over the edge, you know, three, four, five more wins. But I do think what you said about him not being Golden State killer. Uh, it allows them to do some different stuff, but going super small seems to be better for them rather than playing a guy. Well, the thing I like about it, it allows you, you could play Capella, but if Capella is not out there, you could play Love at the five. I think it helps them more against every other team except Golden State. I don't think they would take, I don't think they would take the contract on. I don't. What did you, you, you had, so you thought two protected picks. So that money two works per, with Chris yeah, and Brandon Knight. Chris and Brandon Knight. They're both. I don't know. think they would take the money on. I think the Jimmy Butler thing is more intriguing because you can evaluate it after this year and you can't do that with Kevin Love because it's it's it'll be hard to move him in year three and certainly Jimmy Butler on that team is legitimately scary and a legit threat one of the biggest issues is they they got their their wing defensive depth right now with Ennis injured is is terrible like Melo for as good as he could be offensively like he was washed defensively last year and we're seeing that again this year so it'd be a compromise on both ends this one is just kind of like a fun karmic trade. Let's say Jimmy Butler wins his you know, hostage negotiation and gets the franchise. And they say, we'll trade Wiggins' huge contract for love. And it's more of like a win now for Minnesota. It kind of makes sense for Cleveland getting the younger guy. Do you think Minnesota, do you think that team makes the playoffs basically? Butler, love, cat. Yeah, I do. Probably. I, I do. I think the, I don't even know, like they trade Wiggins. Like, I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns wants to be there with, with Jimmy Butler too. That's an interesting one, but I, I don't, I don't think that Minnesota would do that. Yeah. It's like, it would be kind of fun just because of the double trade. I don't know if we've ever seen that. Three guys. Like what's the, the actual value of love's deal right now, Zan? It's like a hundred altogether. These five years, it's like 130 million, right? Yeah. More. And it's, it's, I think it's for the extension was four years, 120. So it's about thirty million a year. So you're saying you trade for Kevin Love and you have 120 million at Kevin Love, 155 million in Wiggins. So now we're up to what 275 million, and then you have 165 or 170 million with Cat. So you're giving three guys 400 million dollars. Can't see it. Just can't see it happening. And also, it screws up the timeline a little bit. And and it, I don't know how much. I do think Love and Cat next to each other are pretty. Interesting. It's kind of interesting. It would be a great front court. The the trade that I think makes the most sense, but you might not agree. Looking to Kevin Love's hometown, Portland. He grew up. I think he grew up in Portland, or he was born there, or in Oregon. Um, to do this, you need to attach a big salary, like an Evan Turner, and your favorite son, Zach Collins. Definitely somebody the Cavs would love to have. I think the issue is like if 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 Portland does that. Yeah, obviously we we like Zach Collins. Uh, I don't th- I don't know if Portland would do it. I, I really don't. Like Nurkic is is better defensively than he was. I think that their ability to be able to defend like Collins is a great energy big for them. He's protected the rim a little bit. He's he is shooting some, but like again, you have it's 120 million to love, and you know Dame's got a super max, and CJ McCollum makes a ton. But of money. you do get off Evan Turner 18 million only for a couple years, so his contract's not as much of a liability as it used to be. I kind of like it for them just because this is the one shake it up trade where you don't have to trade McCollum or Lillard. And you do get the third star who could play the four or the five if you go smaller. I, I think it makes them more dangerous. It's just for sure interesting. Like, I just don't know. Like, like for me, like Kevin Love, it, like Houston makes sense. But again, like this contract isn't good. So 
I think the teams that are going to do it are going to be more of like, we need a last ditch push. And if it doesn't work, we're going to blow it up. And that's where like, that's where Houston doesn't make sense, right? Because of Chris Paul's deal and because of so hard. You want like the desperate, like Detroit last year, like we got to make a move on the way out. If Dallas was good, because Mark Cuban would do something like that. And and like, or or like Miami would, would make some sense because like, if it doesn't work with Miami, they're just like, all right, well, we're blasting these guys out of here. But the problem is love is not good enough anymore to convince people to come play for him. So like, you know, honestly, like what makes sense? Like, like the Wizards would do something, right? Like trade wall to Cleveland. Or uh, the one I wrote down for them would be like an auto porter. It makes the same amount of right. money. And it's just, but it's like, it, it just doesn't, like those teams, it's like, all right, what can we do? Because we have so many other issues as well that we're okay with Kevin Love beyond this year. Like if Kevin Love had two years left in this deal, I think you'd have teams lining up to do it. I agree. And that's sort of the takeaway, I guess. We didn't get a deal, but we get the idea that a Kevin Love trade is not as easy as you think. It takes a very specific situation and a team that's, you know, willing to roll the dice, maybe because they have nothing to lose. They, you know, they maxed out their credit cards and they go into Vegas to place all their money on one hand of blackjack. Like off the top of your head, like what could Utah offer for Kevin Love? Oh, gosh. I mean, they could throw in like Exum and Favors, maybe. Yeah, I mean, something like that, I think, makes more sense because they're ready to compete for a couple of years. And so, like, you can have a guy like that. Obviously, you don't need him in, in Denver because they have Paul Millsap. But but teams that are, like, right on the periphery of, like, the top six, five, four teams in their division, like, like Charlotte, right? I don't. They wouldn't do it, obviously. I think they're kind of in the middle of the road of, like, should we compete, should we not? Like, they're obviously trying to. But, like, like Charlotte, what could they do? You know, a team like that or, or Milwaukee, what could they do? Could they trade? Would they trade Malcolm Brogdon and something else for Kevin Love? Maybe. I don't know. You know, like those teams, I think, make the most sense because then like, all right, you're okay with Love on your team for two to three more years after that. Well, and I think, you know, Detroit traded for Blake Griffin last year in a a similar deal in the sense that Blake Griffin's obviously good now. Is he good in three years? Who knows? But like that was a coach who felt like if he didn't make a shakeup, he was out. And he, he was out turn. anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. We'll keep working on that. We have until January to figure uh, out. All right. Let's go into segments. We're going to do this uh, maybe not every week, but college basketball starting next week. We're going to do back to school. We'll review one to two draft prospects uh, each each year in their NBA fit. Or I'm sorry, each week in their NBA fit. And obviously, who else could we be talking about? The, the guy who's the most interesting prospect in the country, Zan, and that is uh, Zion Williamson. Your thoughts on Zion Williamson going forward? Well, the reason I wanted to talk about Zion is all the other top prospects in the draft, if you follow it at all, you might know RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. All those guys kind of fit, you know, the modern NBA. It's very easy just to slot them in. But I can't recall a guy like Zion Williamson. I think he listed at 6'6", like 280 or something. I think he's lighter than 280 now. They've actually done a pretty good job of – they've actually done a a good job of – transforming his body he still could be 280 he is a big dude he is fantastically explosive from a body type standpoint Zan I think he looks the closest to Larry Johnson I could see that that's an old school one yeah I like that but it seems to me like there's an interesting like um life of his you know the perception about him like he was such a highly touted high school kid and everyone's like oh this guy's the next LeBron and then the backlash set in where it's like, you know, he, he doesn't really, he's just a dunker. He's too short. He doesn't have a wingspan of these top guys. He, can't, he doesn't have a position. And I heard some people saying he might fall out of the top five. And now it seems like there's the backlash to the backlash because he's looked good in the preseason. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to fall out of the top five. Just the way that he can physically overwhelm guys. I mean, he, he seems like a guy to me that 
Coach K can hold him back a little bit, which seems wild to say, but I, I think like I would love. I'm really excited to see if they they play small, like and and they'll play big. Some they'll they'll play Marquise Bolden and Javon Delorier with him, but like I want to see Trey Jones, Alex O'Connell. Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and then Zion at the five. And I want to see that guy in five out because he is more skilled than people give him credit for. Like, no, he's not a 40% three-point shooter yet, but he is a guy that can he can put the ball on the floor a little bit. He has a ridiculous first step. And then obviously he's athletic enough and just elevates over everybody. I mean, he's going to probably block two and a half, three shots a game. He's a guy that can get 12 to 15 rebounds if he's by the rim enough. Like, I, I don't see it. I don't see him falling out of the top five. Now, the interesting part is like, how do you play with him? Because right, it's well. The two things I wanted to ask you, as a as like a development guy and a coach, how his shot looked okay in the preseason. Do you think he can be an average three point shooter? I do. I, I'm I'm bullish on Zion. And and again, a lot of the, the one of the reasons is a lot of the guys I talk to think that like he's going to be ACC Player of the Year in the South. Like his buzz is crazy. And and part of the reason is because the athleticism is just so legendary. Like, this is a guy that, like, when he walks in the gym, it stops. Like, when he dunks and he explodes off the floor, you're like, where did this come from? I mean, he looked – in high school, he looked like Julius Randle, but 30 pounds heavier and uh, with a 45-inch vertical leap. Like, the only there, – there's two guys I've ever seen in high school that looked like sort of this explosion, and they were LeBron and Derrick Rose. From a well, and it, I like I, he reminds me of Jewish Julius Randall, except that Randall wasn't a super athletic. No, so and, I, and I mean obviously Randall was left-handed, so like that's a little bit different. But it's just to me, it's like I think you know sometimes I think people are like, all right, well this is what he can't do, and I think you got to stop focusing on that, and you got to be like, all right, this is what he can do. Well, do you think do you think he can play the five in the NBA? Man, I don't know. I, yeah, maybe it depends on who your four is, and and again, it depends on if he can shoot. But I don't know how many fives in the NBA can stop Zion going off the dribble if you have the floor space. That's the one thing I, I'll and say. And I don't know how many you know big men there are, and you you know certain matchups. How many big guys could punish him for being undersized? I don't think that many. You know, with his he strength, is, he is really strong. That is the bottom line. Now we haven't really seen him. You know, he played in a terrible league in South Carolina. There was, I mean, he was playing against guys like you and me, which obviously he's going to dominate. But in Adidas, like when he played against teams that were good, he was very good. And when he played against other good teams in high school, he was very good. Now, I haven't seen him, you know, there's the legendary EYBL where like Julius Randle and Andrew Wiggins' team played against each other and Wiggins guarded Randle in the post and we got to see that and guys got all excited about how good Wiggins was. We have not really gotten to see that. So I want to see Zion, you know, playing in the ACC and, and having to guard Luke May or having to guard Elijah Thomas from Clemson or, you know, I don't even know who else is a really, really good big in the ACC, but I, I want to see that. You know, I want to see him. Against- I, I think he'll handle that. I think the question is, could he guard... Joel Embiid, that might be harder. Can anybody yeah. guard Joel Embiid? I, I will. I am willing to go out on a limb right now and say that I would be absolutely stunned if Zion fell out of the top five. No, I agree. I think the backlash, the backlash. I think he's now in the top three, and I could see if he just blows up and he's just more exciting than RJ Barrett, and he's a bigger scorer than RJ Barrett. I, you know, I could see some team talking themselves into him at one or two. Certainly. Here's the other thing to consider before we move on to two other segments uh, from a marketing standpoint. If your team stinks, let's say you're the New York Knickerbockers and you have the number one pick. If you draft Zion Williamson, you are selling tickets. And I know ultimately you want to win because winning is the most lucrative thing you can do. But there has not been a guy coming out of high school like Zion Williamson. I honestly feel like the buzz is less than it should be right now. This wow. is a guy, he's got a big smile. Like he's good with the media. Like we don't really have a guy in the last couple of years that's super, super marketable signature shoe, like put him in all the commercials. Like Zion could be that guy, man. 
Well, I love the fit. I actually love the fit for multiple reasons. It gives him excitement to the Knicks. And you talk about, can he play the four, five? Is he a four? I think he'd fit with Porzingis. I mean, Porzingis, yeah, it's perfect. That's the guy you want. Like, they can protect the rim. Like, he can play the four on defense. He can play the five on offense. But, like, I'm telling you, from a strict, like, hey, our team stinks standpoint, there are some people in the organization, like, man, if we draft Zion Williamson, like, we're going to sell 5,000 season ticket packages the night of the number one. We, we draft a number one overall. Like, I'm, I'm serious. And again, we haven't seen him play a real game yet. We've seen them absolutely destroy dudes in exhibitions. Uh, the championship cl- Champions Classic Tuesday night, they play Kentucky. I mean, it should be awesome to watch. But keep that in mind. If you see Zion average like 16 and 11, it could happen, Zan, because of how marketable this kid is. Well, and that's why we wanted to flag him. I think he's the kind of guy that the casual fan or hardcore fan listening to this can watch and try to evaluate for themselves because he is tricky. It's unusual. And so make your own opinion and let us know. All right. We're going into our uh, teacher's pet and disappointed dad. I believe you get to start, right, as the disappointment. And then I will bring up the mood in the room with my uh, Well, again, this is, a, this is a segment because my wife is expecting our first child. And there's not a lot for me to do in, in between time. <laughs> I've done most of my work. But I have to prep. I have to get ready to be a dad. So I have to talk to the kids in the NBA. But not all the kids are the same age. Last week, we talked to Donovan Mitchell. And he treated him like a child because he is in the NBA perspective. And he went off. By the way, can I get some credit? I mentioned that. Oh, he had a huge game against the Rockets. <laughs> he had a huge game. We sent him an early copy of the podcast so he could listen to it and get motivated. But today, I'm talking to somebody a little bit older. So this is more of like a high school, college age kid of ours, you know? And Tyler, this is one of our favorite children. This is our golden child. Who do you talking got? about? I'm talking about Daryl Morey. Ooh. And I'm saying this guy was the apple of our eye. We were all in love. We thought this kid was destined for great things. You know, all the other kids were out playing with their friends and trying to go on the media. Little Daryl was upstairs studying analytics. We said, this guy's going to be something one day. Valedictorian of his class. We sent him off to college. He got into Harvard. We thought he's going to be president. He's going to be an NBA champion. And I wasn't too worried about him. But then I got a news report from the school. And they say he's been slacking off a little bit. You know, when we were so proud of him when he did that James Harden trade. You and I, we like printed that, put it on the fridge. That's how proud we are. Now he's getting drunk with his friends. He's waking up, making bad decisions. You know, he's hanging out with Marquise Chris, Michael Carter Williams, getting drunk, throwing in. Lazy trade offers, floating things to the media that don't make a lot of sense. He's not trying. He's kind of acting like he is the king, and he's not right now. So I would just like wake up call for our college aged kid, Daryl Morey. You haven't proven it yet. We have huge expectations for you. You are the golden boy. You are the best executive in the league potential. But you have some work to do, buddy. Sober up. Get your shoes on, get your big boy pants, get your calculator out, get back in the library and figure out a trade to make this team a contender again because I want to watch some decent basketball in the Western Conference and I'm not, I don't think I'm going to see that in the playoffs unless you get your shit together, son. I would uh, not be surprised to see him uh, once he's done partying with his buddies end up cutting Carmelo Anthony, but we will talk about that in probably April or something like that. Yeah, so that's a wake-up call. Get your shit together. For me this week, I've got one, uh, Noah Vonley from the New York Knicks, currently averaging uh, just under 20 minutes a game, 7.5 points, 8.3 rebounds, 2 assists on 54.5 from the field, and 33% from three. He is on his fourth team in five years, a former top 10 pick out of Indiana, and this year the Knicks are doing something a little bit different. 
he is playing about 60% of his minutes at the five. And I think that obviously when he was drafted out of Indiana, he shot 16 for 33 from three. And I think a lot of teams were like, all right, we'll make this guy a stretch four. And Noah Vonley's best skill has always been his ability to rebound. I don't know that energy big is his best role, but he's top 10 in rebound rate, sixth in offensive rebound rate, seventh in defensive rebound rate. And again, he's playing 20 minutes a game. So still just 23 years old. And, you know, again, he's on the Knicks playing for terrible teams, but this might be a chance to see Noah Vonley. He's on a one-year minimum deal, and you might get a chance to see, like, hey, this is a small, this is a, a an energy five that we can put on our team to get us rebounding. I mean, like I said, I watch teams like the Wizards, and they can't rebound at all. So, I think that the Knicks are doing some good work with Noah. We are just what seven games into the season, but a guy that is showing a real translatable NBA skill at just twenty-three years old. So. Someone that I've really enjoyed watching, I've seen him three times, and the energy that he provides for them, he has the best, uh, I think he's like, he's top 20 in all in box plus minus and defensive box plus minus. Well, no, I'm happy, I'm happy you highlighted him, because he's somebody that I loved in the draft and had been, you know, waiting for the lights to kick on, and maybe it is. And, maybe and again, like, he plays 25 games this rookie year with Charlotte, gets traded for Nick Batum, I think that was probably a fine deal, never really ends up finding out a role in Portland, because like I said, I think they just wanted to play him at the four, because they were like, this guy's a real good shooter, and so I think now, recognizing him for what he really does well, and that's rebound, and allowing him to, you know, kind of embrace that role. Like, maybe we're seeing Noah Bonley turn a little corner in his career at, you know, like I said, he's still just 23 years old and a former top 10 pick. So, a guy that I'm excited to see this from. That's good. I like that. A little positiveness to end the, the podcast, although we still have buzzer beaters. Are you ready? I'm ready. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, and the, the gimmick here is we tend to be long-winded, both of us. Uh, maybe you more than me. But sure. <laughs> we're, sure. we're going to come up with a hot take or a firm take 24 second shot clock to get this opinion out. So I want to ask you a question. Okay, let's hear it. We always talk about who's the next team to win a title after Golden State. Is it Boston? Is it Philly? Is it Houston? But we never talk about the opposite. Who is the last team in the NBA who's going to win a title? A team that will never win in your lifetime. 30 years, 40 years. Hopefully you live 50 years. I don't know. I Honestly, I have no idea. I think that the teams I think are the furthest away are the teams that are kind of just like stuck in the middle of the pack and don't really know what to do, but don't have a ton of flexibility. And so, uh, I mean, the Wizards are one team that I think are very far away. They have so much money tied up. I think the Timberwolves are pretty far away because I don't think Wiggins and Carl Towns are two guys that can do that. So, you know, those are the teams that I think are are, are the furthest away that have a ton of money tied up in bad contracts. What about just, I'll give you an extension, because I'm talking about like 2040, the year 2040. Like there's, this organization is so wrong. I'm going to pick even... a team, you want to pick a team that has a terrible owner. And that's where, I don't think Ted Leonsis is a terrible owner. I don't think he cares. I think he cares more about the Capitals. But Glenn Taylor, I think, is a terrible owner of, of the Timberwolves. And I think that that is just devastating to your team when you have a bad owner. Just like Jerry Jones in the, in the NFL. Like he'll spend money, so he's a good owner, but he just meddles so much that he's a bad owner. So like... With the Timberwolves, I think I think they're so far away from from getting to that that level because we have former good players just saying that they that he's an idiot. Like Kevin Garnett's like he's an idiot, you know. So that stuff, okay, I that's think it. Really that's matters. the shot clock. We gave you a little bit of a you know extension there too. <laughs> All right, uh, for me, first one, Zan the Suns decline Dragon Benger's fourth year option. He turns only twenty one in three weeks. What is next for the former former for fourth overall pick? Well, I'm watching the show on Netflix called Fauda. It's an Israeli show. It's good. It's kind of like a narcos of terrorism. Okay. And I think he could maybe be a cast member. I think uh, that might be his future. I mean, no offense to Bender. Like, he's a guy that I never believed in. Anytime, like, the European comes over, he's going to be a great defender, great athleticism. He hasn't really done anything yet. 
count me skeptical. That's a guy I drafted. He did shoot thirty six percent from three last year. Will he be on an NBA roster next? Yeah, he will. He'll be he'll be a developmental prospect, and maybe without the weight of that top ten pick, he'll he'll thrive. But I I think he's an international player. I don't think he's ready for the NBA. Yeah, I agree. Good one. Good one. Okay, last one kind of ties into our earlier discussion for you. Right now, you're the Knicks. And you're thinking about Zion Williamson at number one because of the marketing, as you mentioned. But you think RJ or RJ Barrett, who do, who's your number one pick preseason right now? And we can track if it changes. I am going to, I think it's RJ Barrett probably. The one guy that I really, really like as a sleeper is Romeo Langford from Indiana. And we'll talk about him in the coming weeks. But as gifted as a, of a scorer that is coming into college this year and, and a marketable guy. Good shot. You got that off early. That's that's Phoenix Sun seven seconds or less right there. All right. Speaking of getting shots off early, but Rick Patino has expressed interest in becoming an NBA head coach next season. Will we see Rick on an NBA sideline in any capacity in 2019? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think um even in college, he, he's toxic right now. I mean, like he, he's a shady guy. He looks shady. He looks like somebody who's you know like he looks like a corpse. Halloween is his is his uh, holidays. There. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who his plastic surgeon is. He, somebody needs to pay him a few more million to get a little bit of an upgrade. Um, I for two reasons for the toxicity and also I just don't think he would work in the NBA. I mean, Billy Donovan I think was a younger, better coach prospect. And it's been a bumpy ride for him. So if Billy Donovan's question mark, Patino's a the, the issue is the, the issue is the ego. You're not the franchise. You know what I mean? And that's what Rick will always be. Although he's a tremendous basketball coach. So that is it for us. Rick Patino. No love on the uh, Rick Patino premature ejaculation joke. Man, that's unbelievable. I, I didn't even hear it. What was I, the tra- <laughs> speaking of getting shots off early? I even wrote, I didn't even write that in. I came up that off the top. Oh, of my I head. heard you. I heard you laugh at yourself, and I was thinking, is that supposed to be funny? That's all right. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't make jokes if I didn't think they were funny. But that is it for us this week. Uh, another wild week in the NBA. Uh, for my sanity, hopefully, when we are back next Thursday, the Wizards have at least one more win because I'm really getting tired of watching this team. But I have also been watching teams like Milwaukee and Toronto, and they are joys to watch. So maybe I'll just become a fan of another team. But I am at Tyler or at CYS Tyler. He is at Zan underscore Ellison, and we are on Twitter. We are available on Gmail. Zan, what what's the uh, email address? Yeah, I'd rather I don't really use Twitter effectively. So email me Zandrick Ellison at Gmail dot com. Ask some questions. Give me potential baby names. Help me explain to me Tyler's jokes if you can. That would be helpful. The cheat sheet would be helpful. Oh, All right. That's it for us. Uh, Thanks, as always, for listening. We were in the top 20 of the iTunes rankings for a good bit of last week. So, you know, keep leaving us five stars and leaving us reviews on iTunes because it'll bump us up, get some ads, maybe do some stuff. Zan and I can be in the same room for once or something like that. But as always, we appreciate you listening, and we will be back next Thursday. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your host, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news. 